I tell you what, y'all are wow. the steadfast. Good morning, folks. Y'all are the steadfast ones that come to church. Good for you. Good for you. Good to see everybody here. Um, isn't this beautiful? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, let's let's stand up and we're gonna gonna wheel in the in the good. Uh, we're gonna worship anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's praise God together. Come on.
Come on, let's give him some praise. Come on. Good morning. For those of you who are here, I'm so proud of you for showing up in the snow. Go ahead and take a seat. I am Natasha. I am your Sunday host. So what this means is I'm your problem solver and your solution finder. I'm also the person that you come to if you feel like you have a word or something that you want to share with the house, okay? We good? Okay, first, first I just need to tell you. Um, <laughs> this is so funny because my husband's not here. <laughs> he recently started his grad program for social work. Yeah, very exciting. But if you know what I mean, we kind of both started the grad program for social work. So I'm expecting a, a write-in on his degree in two years with my name. <laughs> He's doing a fabulous job, but so am I. <laughs> uh, I don't see very many kids, but I'm so glad to see the ones that are here. We love having kids in service and worship with us. Um, so welcome, children, if you're here. Uh, let's check in. Take out your phones. We're a phone-friendly church. Guess this really is for you. What we really, really want, the heart behind checking in, is to welcome our guests for the first time. We promise not to spam you or send you a bunch of texts or chase you down. Well, we might chase you down. But what we want you to check in. And for those of you who aren't new, we really, 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 really love when you send in your prayer requests through the text line because then our prayer team can pray for you. And um, we also love to hear your praises and all the things that God is doing as you send in your prayer request, too. For giving, you can give in the app, in the, on the envelope. You can give on the app or in the envelope in the front seat, in the seat in front of you. Oh, my gosh. Um, we'll pass the baskets at the end when we send the kids back. Um, one really important announcement this week is the youth winter retreat. This is coming up on February 23rd through the 25th. It's very soon. You need to get your kids registered if they're going. Talk to Pastor John in the back. It's $80. And um, if you need help with that cost, you can also talk to him about that. It's here in Bozeman. So this is a really great opportunity to get connected with the kids locally. Today we are in the new series, JPS, in 2 Corinthians. We're super stoked about this series, and it's not too late to join a group so that you can walk through this series outside of a Sunday with the people in our community. Super, super, super valuable. Um, most of our groups are already reading through, but it's, again, like I said, it's not too late, and you can sign up in the app. Sound good? Okay. There you go. There's your announcements. Happy Sunday. All right, let's, let's get back up on our feet. We're going to spend some time worshiping, uh, really digging in uh, to prepare the way. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But, yeah. Come on. Uh, God, we just want to thank you for this, uh, this opportunity to, to sit and worship with our fellow people. Um, the community that you have presented us with is, is so important to our growth and to our... Uh, just to our understanding of you. And uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to worship you together. Let's go. Amen. When all I see is the battle, you see. 
we worship we, we we praise you with our hands lifted high because we know that whatever we fight is a battle that you're already in you're fighting before us you go before us you know what we need before we need it and god i just want to thank you we trust in your goodness we trust you know what we need Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He's been my fourth man in the fight, time after time. Born of his spirit and washed in his blood. And what he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. That's why I 
sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. That's why I trust him. That's why I trust in God. My Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. Alright. 
faithfulness, oh God, oh God, my God, I need you, oh God, my God, I need you now, how I need you now, oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faith.
I just want to say yes and amen to that prayer that we just sang. Holy Spirit, come and fill me again. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning more than we need anything else. We need you to come and reveal truth to us. We need you to come and show us exactly who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, we need you to open our ears so that we can hear clearly. Jesus, we need you to open our eyes so we can see you clearly. So Holy Spirit, come and fill me again. Thank you, Lord. Everybody say amen. amen. Do you remember what amen means? So be it. So be it. Or just simply yes. Could mean yes. Hey, glad you're here. Why don't you turn to somebody in your neighborhood, if there is somebody in your neighborhood. We're a little thin this morning. Give them a good warm hug or a handshake, high five. We're glad you're here this morning. Actually, I'm so impressed that you're here on this very snowy Sunday morning. Glad you're here. And those of you that are joining us online, we want to say welcome to you. We're glad you're joining us. So glad you're joining us. It's going to be a great day. All right, kids, I think your teachers are ready for you. Those of you that are going back to your classrooms, I see Jason back there. Where are you, where are you at, kids? There they go. Everybody say, we love our kids. All right, say thank you to our teachers that serve so faithfully in the back. We're so glad for them. Appreciate them very much. And then if you're sitting on the right side of a row, there's an offering basket under your seat. Would you grab that and pass that down your row? And people who are giving in person this morning, you can drop your offerings into that basket. I want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving um, I really, really appreciate all of you that are partnering with us and, and giving faithfully. 
uh, we closed January with a really strong month in giving, and it's been a while since I've said that, so I'm really thankful. We had a great January. Thank you. And I thought you might be interested to know, because uh, I, I don't know if, if people really think about this, where, where do your offerings go? So I just made a quick list of some of the bills that we paid this week, um, and, and this might help you know. Uh, we paid New Day Bakery for the donuts that we serve every Sunday morning. Anybody thankful for donuts? Uh, your offerings pay for that. We paid a company called CCLI. Uh, we get a bill from them once a year, and CCL is a great Christian organization that makes sure that the songwriters of all the songs that we sing get paid their proper copyright fees. And so we paid for that. Your, your offerings helped us pay that bill. Uh, and so songwriters can make a living. That's awesome. We paid the bill for, to lease our copier that's in the workroom, so you have paper to write on. I don't know if that's important to everybody, but it is to me. Helps us learn. We paid for water and sewer so that when you go to the bathroom, the toilet's flush. So all those things, right? It's just like, and, and you guys gave an incredibly generous offering to our missionaries, Jay and T Cheryl Taylor, last week. So thank you so much for that, and that'll go to them real, real soon. If you didn't get a chance to give to them last week, you can always give to them. And one of the things that they mentioned, but it went by so fast, I want to remind you that uh, one of the reasons they're in the United States instead of in Kenya right now is because they're raising their monthly support and, and they have to raise a budget and, and they need quite a lot. So if you are able to give to the tailors monthly or if there's another missionary that we support that you could give to monthly, that really helps those missionaries stay on the field and have to come home less frequently to raise money. So um, thank you, thank you so much for, for giving. Uh, we're gonna jump right in this morning. Uh, we're uh, start, well, actually, two weeks ago, we started the new teaching series called JPS, Turn-by-Turn uh, -turn Navigation with Jesus, and we're going to be reading through the book of 2 Corinthians together. And so those of you that are in groups that are reading 2 Corinthians together, you know this last week we read through the whole book. That was kind of a slog, wasn't it, those of you that are in groups? Uh, a lot to absorb. And now we're going to be walking through 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter, and this week we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And, uh, and so if you've got your Bibles with me, with you, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, or I think just about everything will be up on the screen, so it's going to be pretty easy this morning. And I'm just going to jump right in to the scripture today. So wave at me as soon as you get to 2 Corinthians. Are you there? Okay. Three of you are there. Travis is in the back waving vigorously. What version do you read from, Travis? ESV. All right, that's one of my favorites. I like lots of translations. I use lots of translations. Kathy, you were waving at me. What translation do you use? New King James. Okay, so what's on the screen today is the New Living Translation or the NLT. Uh, you can read whatever you like, but I'm using NLT this morning. Okay, here we go. I'm going to pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm starting in verse 17. This is Paul speaking. This is now his third letter to the church in Corinth. We'll get into that a little bit later uh, in this series. It's called 2 Corinthians because we've lost one of the letters. History has lost one of the letters. 
Uh, but he's writing to the Corinthians, and here's what he says, picking up in verse 17. He says, you may be asking why I changed my plan. Here's what had happened. Paul had promised the Corinthians he was going to come to visit, and he didn't make it there. And evidently, they were not real happy with him. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he doesn't waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas and Timothy and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. He always does what he said. We sang about this in just about every song we sang this morning. Would you just say this with me? He always does what he says. And then verse 20 says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means, good job, or it means, so be it. There we go, okay. For through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Now, as I've been studying this week, I was I was asking you about what different versions of the Bible you read, which different translation you read, because I've been studying in several different ones, and I was interested to see this week that several of the versions use the phrase wishy-washy when they're talking about this paragraph. Uh, Paul says, I don't waver between yes and no. Uh, some versions say, I'm not wishy-washy, and Jesus isn't wishy-washy. And, and the reason Paul was talking about this, like I mentioned earlier, is because the Corinthians were annoyed with him because he'd promised he was going to come. Something prevented him from coming, and now they're like, Paul, are you wishy-washy? And by extension, if you're wishy-washy, Paul, is your Jesus wishy-washy? Because it doesn't seem like I'm getting what I was promised. This is kind of what the Corinthians are saying. It seems like there's a promise that you made. You seem a little wishy-washy. I'm not sure I'm getting what I expected out of this walk with Jesus. Maybe Jesus is wishy-washy. I'm just wondering if any of you in this room ever feel that way. Do you ever feel like you're not quite getting what you felt like Jesus promised you? Let me give you some examples. Maybe you felt like this. Maybe you thought when you became a Christian, all your problems would go away. Rude awakening, right? Maybe you thought when you started tithing 10% of your income, you would never have any financial problems ever again. You might have even been promised that by some overzealous preacher. You might be disappointed when you find out you still have some financial challenges. Or maybe you prayed for your grandma to be healed, and it didn't happen the way you expected it to happen. And, and so it's easy, if you've ever been disappointed, it's easy to feel like you're not getting what Jesus promised you. And so we ask, along with the Christians in Corinth, can we trust Jesus? 
Now, I don't know if you've ever asked that question with your out loud voice, but I bet most of us somewhere inside have asked the question, can I really trust Jesus? I want to read verse 19 again. You can follow along if you've got your Bible open. Paul said, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is God's ultimate yes, and he always does what he says. He always does what he says. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I wasn't able to get to you. I promised you that I would come. I made this promise, but, but I'm walking in lockstep with Jesus, and he always does what he says, and I can always trust that Jesus knows what he's doing. Paul had this incredible faith that Jesus always knows what he's doing, and he was encouraging the Corinthians, if they're doubting who Jesus is or doubting Jesus' faithfulness, listen, you can trust him because he knows what he's doing. And so this is Paul's big idea in this passage. You can write this down in your notes. And if you're struggling in your life right now, if things are hard for you right now, this Big idea might be a little hard to embrace, but I want you to think about this really carefully with me this morning. Here it is. Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes. Verse 20, again, says all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes. Now, here's why this can be a little confusing. And, and, and if you're twitching a little bit, when, when, when the Bible says all of God's promises have been fulfilled with the reason, if you're twitching a little bit, here's, here's why. There's two kinds of promises we get from God. Maybe there's more, but I'm thinking of two today. I'm going to address two today. The first kind of promise that we get from God are the kind of promises that we find in the Bible that are promises for everybody. Promises that especially relate to our relationship with God. And to all of those promises, Jesus always says yes. I'm going to talk about three of them today. But on the other hand, there's other kinds of promises that we, that we receive from God. They're the kinds of promises that when you're praying or you're reading the Bible, you feel like God says something to you deep in your heart or or an idea comes to you in your mind and you latch onto it. And one of the things we talk about all the time here at Connect is God is always speaking. We're, we're always trying to practice listening and hearing God. Sometimes you'll hear a promise from God that way. And sometimes it's a struggle to wait for that promise to be fulfilled. Anybody there today? Okay. A few hands, a few yeps. Or maybe somebody has spoken to you and they, they've said, I just feel like God is speaking and, and, and this is what God, he's got a promise for you and, and you're hanging on. And those kinds of promises, sometimes we wait a long time and it's easy if the time gets long. It's easy to start thinking, I'm not getting what I felt like God promised me. Are you there? Are you, anybody, anybody living that out today? Kathy, you're living it out. You're waiting for the healing, God promised you. Absolutely. So those are the two promises that I want to talk about today. So I'm going to start today with three big questions 
that lots of us wrestle with, and I want you to see today how Jesus fulfills the promises God made, and he says yes, and then I'm going to wrap it up this morning by talking about how we navigate through some of those more personal questions that can make us feel like we're not getting what we're promised. Okay, that's a little roadmap. You see where we're going? Three big questions that all of us might wrestle with, and then we're going to navigate through those personal questions that we have. Here's the first big question that I want to ask today. The question is this. Will God accept me? Will God accept me? There's lots of people, lots of people who aren't in church, who have come to believe that they are such bad people that God could never possibly accept them and embrace them. Will God accept me? Here's a promise that comes from the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. Just a very short phrase, but it's a promise that comes from God. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Now, I'm personalizing that a little bit. He says they, but it's a promise to you and me. This is a promise that is in a passage in Jeremiah that's known as a new covenant prophecy. Now, if, if this is new language for you, if you don't know what a covenant is, a covenant is just an agreement, okay? Covenant is an agreement. Our Bible is made up into two parts. You probably know this, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Did you know that the word testament is a synonym for the word covenant? So the first part of your Bible is the Old Covenant, and the second part of your Bible is the New Covenant. Now in Jeremiah, which is in the Old Covenant, the people of Israel were living under the Old Covenant, and and in Jeremiah, God was saying, listen, this covenant that I made with the people of Israel through Moses, this covenant has been destroyed because the people have been walking in disobedience for generation upon generation upon generation. And he says in in Jeremiah 31, he, he says, listen, the people have been unfaithful, but I have always been faithful. I have never, ever violated the covenant that I made with the people of, of Israel. But the covenant is ruined because the people weren't faithful. So I'm bringing a new covenant to you. The old covenant, the old agreement, was this kind of agreement in which, in which uh, you had to live by this rigid set of rules And the agreement between the people and God was if you follow the rules, you're going to be blessed. If you break the rules, you're not going to be blessed. Okay? Pretty pretty high standards of people. And they were constantly blowing it. And they were living in this awful, awful place of judgment and destruction because they had broken covenant with God. And so God comes along and he says, I'm bringing something new. I'm bringing something new. Here's the new thing. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the awesome part was God also said, it's not going to just be for Israel. It's going to be for everybody. Everybody gets to come into this relationship with God. And it's, instead of being this conditional covenant where if you're, if you're good, you're blessed. And if, if you're not good, you're not blessed. And, 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 and you constantly feel this new covenant is to be the kind of thing where forgiveness is constantly available to you. If you blow it, you get forget. I'm always going to be your God. You are always going to be my people. 
So why do we struggle with this? Why do we ask this question, will God accept me? Well, it's because we, in, in a lot of ways, we still have this old covenant thinking in our minds that, that if I do something bad, God's going to reject me. That's not new covenant thinking. It's not a new covenant understanding. God said, I will be your God. You will be my people. And then Jesus came along and he fulfilled the promise. Jesus came along and he demonstrated what that looks like. Let me take you to one passage in the Gospels where we see Jesus walking this out. It's so cool. We find this in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and, and in, in this, in this uh, account, Jesus touches a man with leprosy. Now, we don't hear a lot about leprosy in our culture anymore. Uh, there's really good, leprosy still exists, but there's really good treatments for people with leprosy. But in Jesus' day, leprosy was a death sentence. Highly, highly communicable disease. If you touch somebody with leprosy, you absolutely 100% contracted leprosy. And your skin would begin to deteriorate. People, people would have flesh falling off their bodies. They would lose limbs. They would lose hands. They would lose just an awful, awful disease. So in Jesus' day, what happened is if you had leprosy, you were an outcast of society. You couldn't, you couldn't have meals with your family. You couldn't go to worship. You couldn't do anything social. In fact, you couldn't even live in town. You were, you were isolated to a leper camp. And what we read about in, in Luke chapter 5, it's, it's this beautiful story that Jesus, because he is the yes to God's promise, I will be your God and you will be my people, Jesus encounters this man with leprosy, and the man calls out to him from a distance, because that was a rule. You don't, you don't come anywhere near any other human being if, you're, if you've got leprosy. He calls out to Jesus, and Je Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. And you know what Jesus does? Now, lots of places in the gospel, Jesus says, yeah, you're healed, you know, go away, you're good. You know, that, that, that was one strategy. That's not what Jesus did with this leper. Jesus walks up to this leper. What does he do? The Gospels are very clear. Jesus touched the leper, and he healed him through his touch. What was he doing in this action of touching this man who was a social outcast, this man who was actually a danger to society? What was Jesus communicating? I am the yes to God's promise. I am the yes to God's promise that God will absolutely accept you, embrace you, and pull you in close. Is that beautiful? So if anybody in this room or anybody watching online this morning, if you're asking this question, will God accept me? Will God accept me? The answer unequivocally is Jesus says yes. You are not too bad, you are not too dirty, you are not too unacceptable. There is nothing, according to the new covenant, there is nothing that can separate you from God. God loves you so much. Now, here's, here's the rub, though. This is, this is what's maybe a challenge for some of us. Jesus will touch us like the leper. But like the leper, if you read the story, he then gives the leper some next steps. He says, 
Listen, now, go to the temple, take the offering that's required for healing, and go and present yourself to the priest. Here's, here's, what's, here's what's really sometimes troubling to some of us. When we receive this kind of acceptance from God, and he pulls us in, he's not willing to just leave us where he finds us. He gives us some next steps. Okay, here's how you walk it out. You're accepted by God, but I'm not going to leave you where you are. So take some next steps. Will God accept me? 100% yes. Now here's the second question I want to ask today. Will God forgive me? This is a big one for lots of people. Will God forgive me? Might be a bigger question, a bigger struggle even for people that have grown up in communities of faith. Because we're, we're taught a certain level of moral responsibility. And if we blow it, especially if we blow it again and again and again, we feel like there's going to be some kind of limit to the grace and forgiveness that God extends. Well, here's the promise. Again, from Jeremiah 31. This is this new covenant promise. God says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I want to read this promise again. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Now this was a different concept from the old covenant where, where God said, if you sin... The sin is going to be visited on you again and again and again and again. New Covenant said, I will remember your sins no more. I will never remember their sins. Now, let's talk about what that means. I like, I like to tease my daughter, Nikki. Sometimes she'll ask me something and I don't want her to know what the truth is. Not that I'm lying. I am not a liar. But Nikki will say something like, Poppy, did you, did you do the laundry today? And I will say, I don't remember. <laughs> Not, Colt says that's lying. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to mess up your parenting skills, Colt. Listen closely, Fredericks children. Here's the strategy. Here's the strategy. Forgetting is passive. Forgetting is when something just leaves your brain and you can't recall, you literally cannot recall it. That's forgetting. Remembering is active. Remembering is when I am purposely calling something to the front of my, of my brain and I want to hang on to that. We memorize things. If, if you're a student, if you're in school, you will memorize dates. You will memorize multiplication tables. That's active remembering, right? When I say to my daughter, I don't remember, what I'm saying is I'm choosing not to bring that to my mind today, and I'm choosing not to share the information with you. I'm making a choice to not remember. Does that make sense? Nikki hates it. She hates it when I do this. Jeremiah 31 does not say that God forgets our sins. 
Jeremiah 31 says, I will not remember your sins. God chooses to discard any wrong thing you and I have done. He just lets it go. Remembering is when I have a conflict with my wife and she makes me mad because why would I be mad at my wife? She doesn't do anything wrong ever. But remember, remembering is when Chris displeases me in some way and I start going back and choosing to remember every offense she's ever done to me over the course of 30 years and I start to bring them back and bring them back and I add them on and layer them on and pretty soon I'm just giving zingers. Zing, zing, zing. Well, remember when you did this? Right? I'm choosing to remember and I'm choosing to use an offense from five years ago to punish her today. In marriage, there are few things more destructive than remembering the offenses of the past. And our God is so good that he chooses not to remember. It's not because he's got a bad memory. It's not because he's got Alzheimer's and he forgets everything. This is a choice that God makes. I will remember your sins no more. Beautiful? Okay. Now, Colt, I'm sorry I've messed up your family dynamic. Fredrickson children, don't lie to your dad. <laughs> we may have just lost the Fredricksons from the Connect Church family. I don't know. Could God possibly forgive me? Jesus says yes. Now, how did Jesus fulfill this? How do we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise, the ultimate yes? Well, there's so many accounts in the Gospels we could go to. You might, you might be thinking about the thief on the cross that Jesus forgave right at the end of his life. You might be thinking about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery that Jesus forgave. Such a beautiful story. I want to take you a, to a different account. This one is also in Luke chapter 5. And what we see here in this account, there's an image up on the screen that's kind of cool. Jesus actually forgives a man who comes to him seeking healing. This man comes to Jesus seeking healing, and what he finds is forgiveness. It's a really cool story. There were some guys that were helping this paralyzed man get to Jesus. He couldn't walk, so they carried him on a stretcher, and when they got to the house that Jesus was in, it was so crowded and so packed that they couldn't get the paralyzed man to get close enough to Jesus to have any kind of interaction with him. So they climbed up on the roof, and I, I love to imagine the process of how this happened. I, I'm trying to imagine how this group of guys carrying a stretcher got the stretcher up onto the roof to begin with, and then they took some tiles off the roof, and then they lowered him down into the house, and I could just see this poor man who can't walk. I don't know if he was a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, but he can't, he's on a stretcher, and, and you know, it's going like this, that's how my mind goes maybe yours doesn't but this guy comes swinging down in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at this man who's paralyzed who comes to Jesus because he wants to be healed and what does Jesus say 
He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's so many things we could talk about here. The first thing that I want you to know is when Jesus said that, son, your sins are forgiven, there's just an uproar in the house. Because all the religious folks that were there are like, Jesus, you're just a human being. You can't forgive sins. And so there's this big, there, there's this big conflict between Jesus and the religious people. They don't want Jesus to forgive sins. You see, in this culture... What the people believed, because they were old covenant people, they believed if this man was paralyzed, it was because he had done something really, really sinful. And the worse the sickness, the worse the disease, the worse the sin. They didn't want him to be healed. They didn't want his sins to be forgiven. Because he was under God's judgment in their cultural understanding, in their old covenant understanding. But Jesus connected the two. And he said, he said to this man, your sins are forgiven because that was the root issue. And here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Is, is when we come to Jesus, he's going to address the root issues in our life, not just deal with the superficial. I think this is beautiful about Jesus. What do you think? And so instead of just saying, hey, kid, just stand up and walk. I, I'm healing you. He forgave his sins. Now, after the uproar about whether or not he could forgive sins, he said, listen, <laughs> I'll show you that I do have the power to forgive sins. So that's when he said, now, roll up your mat. You can walk. You're good to go. Jesus was the fulfillment of this, pro of this promise in the most beautiful way of saying, listen, I will forgive the sins of anybody who comes to me. Forgiveness is 100% available to you. And so if you wonder if your sins are too big, if you wonder if your sins are too extreme, if you wonder that if you've done that thing one too many times, I want you to know Jesus says, yes, I will forgive you. And this beautiful, beautiful promise is reinforced later on in the New Testament. Jesus' disciple John wrote this. He said, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them. He won't let us down. He will be true to himself. He will forgive our sins and purge us from all wrongdoing. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody, I, I believe today, you're struggling with really believing that Jesus would forgive you. I want you to know, Jesus 100% wants to forgive you. Chris and I were talking last night about uh, one of our early, early connectors. Actually, we were talking about him in our small group. Vani, you remember Bill Conkler. How many of you remember Bill Conkler? One of my favorite people. Bill passed away, I think, four or five years ago of throat cancer, way too early. But Bill was this remarkable young man 
He was one of our early, early connectors, found us when we first launched up in River Rock uh, in 2008. And Bill loved Jesus. Bill loved Jesus because he had been forgiven. And so when we met Bill, he wanted to do anything he could to serve Jesus, anything he could to serve the Connect family. And so in those days, we were renting, we were renting community space right there on the pond at River Rock and this little space. And, and every Sunday, we would get to that space early in the morning and we'd pull out all of our sound equipment and all of the stuff out of our little trailer and we'd set it all up and we would have church and then we were done, we'd pack it all back into the trailer and take it away. And then we launched a gathering in downtown Bozeman and, and uh, when we did that, then we were doing it twice a day. We were gathering in River Rock, and then we were gathering on Sunday nights in downtown Bozeman. And do you know, every single Sunday, Bill was the one that was pulling out all that stuff and setting it up and tearing it down. Twice a day, every single Sunday, he never missed. And he came every Sunday with a smile and with excitement, and he just loved Jesus, and he loved the people of God, and he wanted to serve the people of God. I didn't hear Bill's story right away. But when he finally opened up and told us a little bit about his life, we found out that Bill had done some really bad things in his life. Bonnie, we were talking about that just last week. Um, Bill didn't like to talk about it, so I'm sure I don't even know the half of it. But Bill had done some really terrible things, and he landed in jail, and he spent a number of years in prison, Deer Lodge, if I remember correctly. His daughter grew up without a dad, and uh, they reunited when she was, I think, about a senior in high school, but he'd missed all these years of her life because he was sitting in jail. But while he was in jail, Bill encountered Jesus, and he experienced forgiveness, and it was this incredible transformation and freedom in which he, 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 was, he was set free. He, he had let go. And forgiveness changed Bill. I think he would be okay if I shared this with you. One of the bad things that Bill did, and, and this is what sent him to prison, is he was a drug dealer right here in, in the Gallatin Valley. And after he'd encountered Jesus and, and had been forgiven, that forgiveness went so deep that he had this, this repulsion for the sin that he had been involved with previously. I mean, he didn't want anything to do with it. And one of the last conversations I had with Bill, I'll never forget it, he sat in my living room and he'd, he'd asked to meet with me. He was very sick, suffering with cancer, and he was in incredible pain. And he came over to my house, and, and of course, the laws had changed, and so medical marijuana was legal, as it is now. And he came to my house and he said, Russ, my doctor is recommending that I use medical marijuana to relieve my pain, but he said, Jesus forgave me of that sin. I don't want to go there again. And so we had this very tender conversation about is, is, 
medicinal marijuana, is that sinful? Is it the same as what he was doing before? And we really struggled through that. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is not to start a debate over whether or not we can use, that's not my point. My point is this, when you are forgiven by Jesus, everything changes. And there's a power that comes with forgiveness and I wouldn't want anybody who hears my voice today to miss out on the freedom that Jesus gives you when you experience forgiveness. It's so good. It's so good. So will Jesus forgive you? Jesus says yes, 100%. Here's the third question. Third question is, will God help me change? Kind of already answered that one with the story about Bill. But there's a corollary to this question that I think we have to wrestle with. Will God make me change? I'm going to start with the first question. Will God help me change? Here's another new covenant promise. In a different book of the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Anybody in the room like me and you've struggled with a stony heart? Am I the only one? Okay. Man, can I be stubborn. And for those of us that are really stubborn, we need a miracle of God changing our hearts, and God promised when the new covenant comes, there's going to be a miracle of change that I will plant deep inside of you. This is the promise that God gave every new covenant believer. I'm going to give you a new heart. Jesus fulfilled this promise in lots of ways, but I want to take you to a cool account in John chapter 3. You, you're probably most familiar with one verse in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, right? Well, if you rewind to the beginning of this chapter, you find this, this story of Jesus having an encounter with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of these religious dudes. Pharisee is what, what they were called. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he'd heard about Jesus. He was intrigued by Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus. It's very interesting. John is very specific. He comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to know. He's kind of messing with the religion, and he's going to go see Jesus. And so there's this cloak of secrecy, and he makes contact with Jesus, and, and he says some really flattering things to Jesus. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. Now, this is a fulfillment of that old, that, that, that promise from the Old Testament in which God said, I'm going to give you a new heart, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to change that stony heart into a heart that's soft and tender. Jesus is just using a different metaphor and he's, he's saying, listen, we've all been born of our moms, Okay? Raise your hand if you were born from your mom. Aren't you thankful for your mom? Okay. We've all been born by a mom, but there's another birth that's possible for you. This one is when you are born again. And as I was studying this week, I was, I was kind of caught 
by, by a footnote in one of the translations I was studying. And the footnote said the word again can also be translated from above. It's an, it's an interesting word in the Greek language. We don't have an English word that's like it. It can either mean again or it can mean from above. It's talking about a supernatural thing that happens when God does it to you. And when you are born again, you are birthed from the Spirit of God. It's like instead of being born of your mom, no disrespect to anybody's mom, but instead of being born of your mom, you are born the way Adam was born when God himself blew his spirit into his lungs. Anybody need that today? And, and, and Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, listen, you're a good guy. You're following all the rules, but you don't yet have the breath of God in your lungs. And the reason you're struggling with this or that or that habit or that addiction, the reason it's a struggle is because you need this new birth that comes when God breathes into you and changes everything from the inside out. That's what it means to be born again. Nicodemus, Nicodemus is an interesting guy. He's mentioned several times in the Gospel of John, but it never says that he became a follower of Jesus. He remained a Pharisee. He helped bury Jesus after Jesus' crucifixion. But we don't know that Nicodemus was ever born again. We don't know. John doesn't tell us. I'm guessing from the silence that maybe Nicodemus said, hmm, cool idea, Jesus. No thanks. And I think what might have been happening to Nicodemus, he's one of those people, we have the temptation to be like this. He's one of those people who's like, I really like my life. I like who I am. I like what I like. And I would really like to just tack Jesus onto who I am but I'm not really interested in changing at all. I think lots of us can live there for a long period of time before we surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want a new heart. I, I want something different. And we come to him and let him do the transformational work. Now, again, it requires something of us. It, it, it requires some yielding. It, it requires spending time in the presence of the Lord and, and letting his breath come into us and, and, and change our desires and change our thoughts and change our way of, of living, but then walking it out on a day-to-day -day basis. And really, for most of us who have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, it takes a long period of time. It means once that change has happened, I say no and I close the door to those old habits. I shared with you a few weeks ago about my, my struggle with food addiction and how last February, I'm coming up on a year, the Lord gave me this heart change transformation that, that I, I now want to walk in obedience with Jesus. But listen, it's an everyday thing. Every day I have to say, what does Jesus want from me? 
does Jesus want me to take a deep dive into that box of Girl Scout cookies? Girl Scouts, I'm saying no to the cookies this year. Because I have a bunch of boxes from last year still. And, and it's the same for, for any kind of addiction or sin struggle that we struggle with. If you're struggling with pornography addiction or you're struggling with alcohol addiction, listen, the first thing you need is Jesus to give you a new heart. You need Jesus to breathe into your lungs and change your desires. And then you have to walk out the hard with him. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. It means that you're listening to him and you're letting him change your desires day by day by day. The problem is, I think lots of us, lots of us come to Jesus with this expectation that he's going to take the desire away. That's not what he does, necessarily. I think some people have had that. I I, I had a friend that, when he came to Jesus, the Lord took his desire for drugs and, and alcohol just completely away. Just, I've only seen that once in my whole life. Most of, for most of us, it's a matter of walking it out with Jesus step by step. And, 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 and it, it's a struggle, but he gives us the power to live the born-again life. Because if you don't have that change of heart, you are powerless to do it on your own. You hear what I'm saying? But I think sometimes we get mad at God because we expected him to change our desires. We expected him to never, never, ever expose us to temptation again. Let me, be, let me rephrase that because God doesn't tempt us. We expect him to never let us be tempted again. If that's what you're waiting for, listen. That's not what Jesus does. He's going to give you a new heart, and then you walk with him, and he empowers you through it. Will God help me change? 100% yes. Jesus says yes. Now, will God force me to change? He didn't force Nicodemus to change. We see lots of people in the scriptures that encountered Jesus, blows my mind. Don't you think that if you really saw Jesus in the flesh, you would just do whatever he said? I mean, that's what I think. Lots of people encountered Jesus and they they didn't change. Why? Because part of being human is that he gives us free will. He lets us choose. He's not gonna make you change. You can come to church every Sunday You can read your Bible every day. And you can choose to live outside of Jesus' kingdom. He's not going to force you. But if you want a new heart and a new spirit and you want transformation, Jesus says yes. Okay, now I want to wrap up with this. There are other promises that we embrace, that we grasp onto, that if those promises are delayed 
or if, if those promises are misunderstood or, or maybe fulfilled in, in some way that we didn't expect, we can really start to question the trustworthiness of Jesus. Jason and Naomi. Can't see for the glare. Oh, Jason's up there. Naomi's not here today. You guys are waiting for a promise that, that you believe God has promised you a baby. And it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's been a struggle. Okay? This is what I'm talking about. Tasha's husband, Greg, waiting for healing. You guys have, ha, have heard God say, Greg is going to experience 100% total healing in his body. It's been a year and a half. It's been a long slog. And so these kinds of things lead us really, if not physical suffering, they bring us to this place of mental and spiritual agony. How many of you have been through these, these times when you've been trusting God for a promise and it's, it's been a long wait, a long slog? Kathy, again, you and Sonny, you're, you're six, six years, you've been waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled to you, okay? I want to take you back. Oh, one more thing I want to point out. One more example I want to give you because I keep running into this example. There are lots of us who have been deeply hurt by spiritual leaders in our life. Just met my new friend, Sam. Sam, you had this terrible experience of a, of a leader who let you down. When that happens, we go, okay, this leader is a terrible person. Can I believe anything this leader taught me about Jesus? I've shared this story before. Uh, I've got a friend who's not walking with Jesus yet. And he had a Sunday school teacher when he was a child tell him that if he believed in, in dinosaurs, he was going straight to hell. Okay, you guys laugh. What this did to this young man was he said, well, if that's what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. We draw conclusions about who Jesus is a lot of times based upon the suffering that is in our lives. I want to tell you what Paul chose to do. I'm going to take you to, to two more verses in, in 2 Corinthians 1. It's up on the screen. Paul says this, and he's writing with his buddy Timothy. They say, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Listen carefully. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Have you been that hopeless in your life? that you thought, I can't possibly get through this. That's exactly what Paul was walking through. And here's what he said he did. He and Timothy. 
As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Listen, there's a key here for every one of us who are walking through this slog of waiting for the promises of God to be fulfillment. You've got to focus on this one thing God does super well. He raises the dead. Now, how do I know that? How do I know God raises the dead? Jesus is alive. And he was seen by so many witnesses that it's an an undisputed historical truth that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. Now, if he can do that, if God can raise the dead, then Tosh, you you and Greg can rely on God. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. You can rely on God. He raises the dead. Jason, you and Naomi can trust in God. He raises the dead. Sam, you can trust in God. He raises the dead. And it doesn't matter what the struggle has been, what the suffering has been, no matter how deep it is, stop relying on yourself and instead trust in God. He raises the dead. There's there's not a bigger power in the universe than raising the dead. So he can heal. He can bring you children. He can help you know Jesus. Whatever it is that you're hanging on to, God is big enough for you. And Jesus has proven it. Jesus says yes. Okay. Put your things aside, would you please? Musicians, would you come? Can we... Can we sing the last song about calling on the God of Jacob? Loved that one this morning. I want us to pray, and then um, I think the best thing we can do is just let the truth of this song wash over us this morning. I want you to trust God. I want you to trust God's promises. I want you to experience his presence. So would you close your eyes right where you are and give... Your, your neighbors around your, your space, their privacy. And I'm going to ask you to do something in faith right now. I'm not going to make you come up to the front this morning. I'm not going to call you out, but just in the privacy of you and God and my eyes alone, I'm going to ask you to raise a hand. Would you raise your hand if you're saying yes to the promise of being accepted by God? Keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you are saying yes to the promise of forgiveness. Keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you're saying yes to the promise that he will help you change. Lots of hands there. Keep them up. 
And raise your hand if you're going to confess along with all these others. You're going to say yes, but there's another promise you're hanging on to. I'm raising both my hands. Now keep your hands raised. Let's pray together all over this room. Lord Jesus Christ, today we are raising our hands because we are saying yes to Jesus who's already said yes. God, for those of us that have doubted that we could really be accepted, Jesus, will you just confirm that right now in us? Will you just sweep over us with this embrace, touch us? Some of us feel like we're lepers. Something has caused us to believe that we're so unacceptable. Jesus, today, we know you've said yes. Lord, some of us are needing forgiveness today of sin. Something, something that we've done, something, some rebellion that has, has caused us to walk away from you. Today, we're saying yes to the forgiveness that Jesus said yes to. Some of us today are asking you, Lord, help us to change. Empower us to change. Breathe into my nostrils. And help me, Jesus, to walk out this life different than I was when I walked in today. And Lord, the rest of us are just saying, yes, we need, we need a fulfillment of a promise, and we're going to rely on you. God, we're going to rely on you instead of relying on ourselves. Because God, you raised the dead. And I'm calling on the God of Moses, the God of Jacob, the God of Mary, the God of David. We're calling on the Holy Spirit to come and breathe on us today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, stand to your feet. Let's sing this together. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. Whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I know not now to do the same thing for me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. Oracle, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the Lord. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. 
not fight Goliath, but I've got my own giant. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh, I'm standing 
I, I just want to say something really quickly. Uh, and this might have been prophetic. Um, I, I'm not, when I'm leading up here, um, it's, it's funny because I, I'm all over the place sometimes. And it takes this team to help steer me, help hear. I'm not the only one who hears from God. We all hear God, right? And when we worship, we worship together. This morning, Clay, or, uh, Connor was like, you know what? When it says he's freeing hearts right now, sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, that, that just said nice and free. But sometimes he comes in like thunder and like lightning and shakes your whole world when he's freeing you, right? When he comes in and touches your hearts, sometimes it's, it's like this, it's like your whole world changes. It's not, not just the, ah, moment, right? So let's, let's go back to that, that you freed the captives then. And I want you to, I want you to feel that freedom that comes with this spring. Come on. You freed the captives then. You're freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touched the lepers then. I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are, you freed the captives. Come on. You freed the captives then. You're freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touch the lepers. You're touching hearts right now. You are the same God. You are. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your face.
and said, I am Jesus, and that's why I can do that. And it just says that he just got down his knees and he worshipped. And in that time, you couldn't worship unless you were in the community and they let you in. I'm not sure. But um, uh, I just thought, like, what would it look like to worship him before he had healed him? To know that that was Jesus, what would it look like? And then what would it look like to talk about you in this song? Say we're calling on the God of you. What does that faith look like? So I don't know if that speaks to anyone, but it spoke to me this morning. God is good. God is good. Have a great Sunday, y'all.